We're in our series called New Beginnings in the book of Genesis, and today we arrive at the infamous, the infamous story of Cain and Abel, and this story is incredibly important. Why? Why is this story so important? Here's why. I'll tell you. Because this story is like looking into a Petri dish of what happens when sin gets put in it. You guys know what a Petri dish is, right? You put like bacteria or something in it, and you watch it grow, and you put other stuff in it to see what happens. Well, here we have a Petri dish. The story is like a Petri dish to see what happens when sin gets put into our lives and the tragedy that it causes. And there are warning signs for us in this story that we might be putting sin in our Petri dish of our life and it might be wreaking havoc and it might be leading to this great tragedy. And before, so, and before I read this, there's something essential that you got to understand. So in Genesis 2, we, we, we're in Genesis 4 now. In Genesis 2, we saw that Adam and Eve were planted, planted in Eden. This word planted is so important. Now our translation says put, but the word for put could also be translated as planted. And because of the context of all this talk about garden in Eden, it makes sense for us to translate it as planted. Okay, so you get that? Okay, so paradise, we are planted I'm saying a lot of P words, so if you're up front, I don't think I could spit all the way at you guys. But So we're planted in Eden, and then the tragedy is, because of sin, we become uprooted, up out of Eden and planted outside of Eden in a soil that is not fit for us. It's a soil that makes us long for something better. Any sweetness that you see in humanity is only a reminder of the soil that we were once in where we had fruit that was sweet as it could be. It's only a reminder. It, we see the sweetness of humanity at times, and when we see it, we say, oh, there's still something wrong here. I'm longing for Eden again. Or, or any time we feel like, man, life in this world, life is good. When we say this, like that shirt that says life is good, you know what that is? That's just us longing for Eden and for us to dig our toes into the soil that we are made for in Eden. But we have been uprooted. And that means that right now, you, me, all of us, we're running around searching for this ancient soil trying to dig our toes into it, longing for something more, feeling unsatisfied. I mean, doesn't that sound familiar? The grass always seems to be greener on the other side. We never really seem to be fully satisfied. And the question for you today is this. Will you remain a hopeless wanderer in a tragedy, or... Will you find this ancient soil? My hope for you today is that you would find it. That's my plan for you today, is that you would find it. So I hope that you do. So Genesis 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 19, and then jump to 23 through 26. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. 
In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face, and I will be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he had built a city, he called the name of the city after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and to Irad fathered Mahujael. And Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech, and Lamech had two wives. Lamech said to his wives, Ida and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. All right. Adam and Eve, planted in the garden, uprooted because of their sin. This great tragedy where they become uprooted, and then, but, but... In the midst of them being torn up out of the soil, God makes a promise to them in chapter 3. And he says, through your seed, meaning a kid, through your seed, you're going to get back to Eden. And the choice of the word seed is so important because we're talking about ground. We're talking about like this is a kid. But remember, we're planted in this foreign soil. And so the seed is going to spring up out of this foreign soil. And the seed is going to be their great hope in getting them back to Eden. And the seed, will here's how the seed, the seed that will rise up in this foreign soil how will that seed get them back to Eden? By crushing the head of the serpent. That's what it says in Chapter 3, the serpent is representing evil and Satan. Now, watch the imagery here. It's fascinating. The, cane, the, 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 the serpent loses its legs. God says, on the, on, your, on the ground you shall call around on your belly now. On the ground. And the seed will sprout up where? Out of the ground. The seed will like, ground will come up. 
there's going to be a tree, and that tree will crush the head of the serpent. Now look at Cain. Watch. What is Cain's job? He's a keeper of the ground. He's supposed to be caring for the ground. So what's crawling on the ground? Well, the snake is crawling on the ground. So here's what's happening. Cain is the hope for Adam and Eve. Cain is the hope. He, they think he is the seed, but he would prove to be a very, very disastrous hope. So Cain's out in the field. His brother's out in the field. They're doing their thing. Each of them are called to care for something different. And so then there's this worship service. And so Cain brings his offering, and Abel brings his offering, and God rejects Cain's offering, but accepts Abel's offering. Now why? What's going on here? Well, here's the thing going on with Cain. So Abel brings his best. Abel brings his first, the first that he gets, the best that he gets. He says, this is God's. Cain's like this. Uh, I know I'm probably supposed to do this. Like, I'm probably supposed to go to church, or I'm probably supposed to go and do these things that I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm going to go do them to appease God so that eventually God is going to owe me and God is going to give me the things that I want from him. So that's how Cain approaches this, and God rejects his offering. And now Cain's, I mean, Cain's pissed about it. So here's what's going on. Cain cares nothing for God. Cain does not love God. Abel thinks God is wonderful. Abel loves God, and Abel's saying, ah, oh, I love God, my God, so I'm going to give him the best that I have. I want to show him that I love him. I just want to display my love for him because I can't help it because I love God, so I want to just display this love. And now Abel, or, or Cain, is just trying to appease God. Why? Why is Cain doing this? Because Cain is worshiping himself. Cain is using God to get what Cain wants from God. But Abel just thinks God's wonderful. And so God says to Cain, Cain, look, I see that you're mad, but you don't understand. Your situation is far more severe than you realize. Because if you're, he's like, Cain, I don't need you to worship me. You worshiping me is the best thing for you. Because if you're not worshiping me, then you're worshiping something else. And if you're worshiping something else, that means sin is crouching. It means it's ready. It means sin's about to pounce on you because of what you're worshiping. This is a very severe problem that you have, Cain, and it's going to get out of control. And that makes Cain even more mad. And so he goes out into the field and he kills his brother. Essentially, this is saying, if you want to master your sin, you have to master worshiping God. Meaning you make God the most important one in your life. And if you don't, sin will master you. So Cain's mad. He goes and kills his brother. Now, imagery again. Where does the blood spill? Onto the ground. The same ground that Cain's supposed to be caring for, he spills blood upon it. Now, farmers know that soil is essential, the right kind of soil is essential to grow something great. Cain is the worst farmer in the history of the world. He is completely spoiled. He's the first farmer and the worst because he has spoiled all of the soil that. And here's what it says, the, the soil, the blood from the soil is actually crying out to God, this very weird thing, like the, the blood is spilling on the ground, and for some reason, the ground is like, the blood in the ground is crying out to God, like something has gone wrong in this land. So God comes to look for Cain. The same way, actually, he came to look for Adam and Eve. So he's looking for Adam, and he says, Adam, where are you? He comes to Cain and says, hey, Cain, where's your brother? 
Cain's like, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is, but he knows where he is. And then, the same way he said to Eve, what is this that you have done? He says to Cain, what is this that you have done? Cain was the hope. And the hope is now lost. Cain was supposed to care for the ground. Now look what the ground, now he is cursed from the ground. Like the ground is actually cursing him. The ground's no longer going to give him strength. In fact, he's, uh, look at this. He is uprooted further from Eden. It says that he went east of Eden to the land of Nod. This word for east, it means like, it means east. Like it does mean east. But also, it means like before the beginning, meaning Cain is now an eternity away from God. He's as far away from God as he can get. He's uprooted. And it has massive implications for his family. Now think about that. His sin has massive implications for his family. Our sins, massive implications for our family. And so his family spirals out of control because there's this place. So, so, so Cain's all worried now that he's going to be killed because he's killed his brother. And so God puts a mark on him. And this is God actually being gracious to Cain. And God says, don't worry. Vengeance will be paid sevenfold if somebody tries to kill you or somebody kills you. So then... Cain's like great 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 grandson says, "Ah, I'm going to take advantage of this grace. That means if I do something like what Cain did, I'm going to God's going to take vengeance on me 77-fold." And so we see Cain's great 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 grandson take advantage of God's grace and spiral out of control and he's like bragging, like, "Look at what I have done." Oh, like this evil laugh from deep in his belly. And here's what we've got. We've got the petri dish of what happens when one drop of sin falls in. And it just massive, massive implications. Self-worship gives birth to sin, which gives birth to us becoming banished, becoming these hopeless wanderers away from God. Self-sabotage, that's what sin is. It's like this long, slow suicide. And it, this is what it does. It takes all your hopes, it puts them right in front of you, makes you look, and then it burns them up. Become a hopeless wanderer longing for soil that you cannot find. So what I want to do now is I want to tell you something that the Bible keeps telling you that is incredibly offensive. And that is that we are not so different from Cain. The Bible is saying this over and over and over again to us. So in 1 John 3, it says, we are to love, like love one another. And if you're not loving one another, then you're being like Cain. And we know, I mean, let's admit, we all aren't loving each other like we ought to be loving each other. So there's a bit of Cain in all of us. And the Bible's like going to great lengths to convince you of this. So, what I want to do is I want to say, okay, look, look at Cain. Look at the life he's lived. Look at the things he did. And then I want to show you how we're doing the same things, actually. It's like a warning. So here we go. Cain's first problem is his worship. Now, okay, fixing your worship is incredibly difficult to do. You're like, oh, am I worshiping God the wrong way? Well, it seems to be saying that we are, actually. And here's what happens. So we say, here's, what, here's the way it actually goes. Okay, I'm not getting what I want in my life, and I want it. 
So maybe what I need to do is I just need to start like living the way God wants me to live. I need to like be worshiping him and doing the things he's telling me to do. And so we say all these things in our minds. We say, okay, so I got to get my worship right. And so look at, but look at what you've just done. You're trying to fix your worship in, in order to get something that you love more than God, the, a thing that you're worshiping more than God. And so do you see what's happening? We have these heart problems and even our attempts to come and worship God the right way are riddled with self-worship and these like attitudes were like, God, just, I'm not interested. I just want to know what you can give me. We become so focused in on ourselves. But real worship is actually not thinking about the self at all. Worship is to not even think about yourself. To worship God is to be so raptured up in his glory, in his beauty, and in his worth that you're not even thinking about yourself anymore. You're just thinking about him and how wonderful he is. That's what worship is supposed to be. And I'm telling you, this is, I find this the most difficult thing about myself. Like, I see my self-worship, and then I want to fix it. And as I want to fix it, I keep doing the wrong things in, in order to try to fix it, and I keep falling into the same trap as Cain falls into. I get consumed with myself instead of looking upon the great glory of God. Like, like, even, like even right now, like, my prayers with God for the last two weeks, like, I'm, I'm spending time with God in prayer, and I'm spending, like, time with him in his word, but there's a, like, there's a lot going on with Cruz right now. Like, Cruz is at the hospital right now, and he's got, like, this, he's reacting to, uh, he's got immune suppressant stuff going on, so he's got this um, thing happening to him where he's going to be in the hospital for, like, a week. So anyways, like, I feel like God's, like, hugging me, and I'm, like, I'm not interested right now. And it's not that I'm not spending time with God, like, I am, I just, like, like, it's almost like I'm like, I just need some space from you right now. And here's the thing, like, God's pursuing us, and he's pursuing me, and so he's hugging me, and I'm pushing him away, but guess what? Eventually, my arms are going to get tired, and he's going to win this, and eventually, I'm going to know that embrace. I'm just, like, fighting him right now. And, like, this is what happens, like, with our self-worship. Like, we're pushing the God away who's rescuing us and who's there for us. And then here's what happens. When we do that, sin starts to master us. It starts controlling us. I mean, it's, it says it's crouching and it's ready to pounce on us like a lion. So God says, Cain, your false worship is what's causing this sin to crouch up in your life and you better watch out for it because it's about to master you. And see, therein lies my next problem and yours. We see the sin, right? You guys know your sin, and you see the sin and you watch it like a lion, and you're watching it, and you're like, ah, there's the sin. Stay away, stay away, but you keep watching it, and the sin's watching you, and the lion's ready to pounce on you, and you're watching the lion, and the lion's watching you, and then it pounces on you, but it's a lion, so it catches you. You can't go faster than a lion, and so you get pounced on, and the sin masters you. Now, here's what's just happened. I mean, do you feel like this, by the way? Do you feel like there's sin in your life that just won't go away? Like, I do. It's all the time. Like, go away, sin. It keeps coming back, and it keeps coming back because the sin is mastering you. Now, here, here's the remedy. When you see 
the glory, the beauty, and the worth of God, when you start worshiping him, like the way like you actually see how wonderful he is, the attention is now off of you, and guess what else it's off of? It's off of your sin. You're not looking at the lion anymore, and you're like, well, shouldn't I be looking at the lion? Well, no, because here's why. Because when you begin to worship God, he begins to master you. And when he begins to master you, it's like you enter into this dance with God. And you know, like you're dancing with God and he's guiding you and then the sin pounces. But guess what? It misses you. Why? Because you moved? No, because God moved you. Because you are dancing with God. You're in worship. You're not worried about the sin anymore. You're not thinking about the sin anymore. Because you're like, I have God in front of me right now, and he's been gracious to me, he's been loving to me, and he's wonderful, and he's perfect, and your eyes are just fixed on him. And that means he's guiding every step that you take, and when the sin tries to pounce, it misses over and over and over again. You master sin by mastering worship. And by the way, the person coming here for the wrong reasons, and, and like, let's just be honest, like, you're here for the right reasons and probably some wrong reasons. Like, it's just, it's how we are, and you know what, that's okay. God, because God's like, in, he's hugging you and he's bracing you and you're trying to push him away, but he's not going to let you go, okay? So, so we, you're here for the wrong reasons, and, and, and here's the thing, though. God has to be the prize, Being with God has to be the reason that you're here. Discovering him more so you can get more delight from him has to be the reason that you're here. And if it's not, then that means you're not worshiping God. And so that means that sin is ready to pounce on you. And also, I got bad news for you. And this might even stop you from coming here. Worship, worshiping God doesn't always lead to your version of the good life. I don't really care what the preachers on TV are telling you. Look at what happens to Abel. He's worshiping God, and he dies for worshiping God. Your version of the good life might not be what God gives you, but it doesn't matter because you're worshiping him because you just simply love him and you think that he is wonderful. I'm not saying that it's God's fault that Abel has died. What I'm saying is that don't buy this idea that, oh, if I worship God, my life is going to be exactly how I want it to be because that's not the case. You're worshiping God because you simply love him and you see what he has done for you. Abel's problem was simply a temporary death. Cain's problem is an eternal banishment in a rotten soil and away from God. Okay, so first problem, worship. Second problem, sin is crouching. Now, here's the third problem that Cain has and that we have. Cain becomes homeless, a wanderer. His sin brought him an infinite infinite degree away from God. Brings him into the wrong soil. Now, the solution to this is simple. Turn back to God. Every sin brings you further from God. Turning back, this is called repentance in the Bible. Just turn back to God and just take in his grace. Let him hug you and stop fighting the hug. So you think about it like this. So you walk into your home now and you're like, ah, I'm home. Especially if you haven't been there for a while. 
But that home is not your home. Jesus talks about that he is going to your home and there's a room in the Father's house that he's preparing for you. And that's the soil that you want to dig your feet into and you long for that soil. Even now, we are far from God and we long to be back with him. So, so here's the question then. Okay, so we've been like banished, we're far away from God and we need to turn back. So how do we turn back? Well, you got to get yourself in the right soil. Where you're like, well, I thought that I can't get to the soil. Well, you can. Here's how. The church. The Bible's saying that the church is bringing the soil of Eden upon the earth. Now, is that an arrogant thing to say? Well, I, I, I don't know. I'm telling you, this is what the Bible is saying. But, I'm not saying all the churches get it right, too. So what does it feel like? What does it feel like to be in a pl- this church where the soil of Eden is there? Well, It feels the soil on the earth that's representing Eden now, it feels like this. It feels like a place where you're forgiven and loved. Yet at the same time, you're being encouraged to become who you're made to become. It's, I mean, it's a pressure to become who you're made to be. Like, like I, I, I want to put pressure on you. The church needs to be putting pressure on you, but it, it's a pressure that's like I'm being hugged and accepted and loved and I'm being pushed in this direction like this. So you're being hugged and you're being moved like this to become closer and closer and closer into who you're made to become. It's a place where you are loved with urgency, but not with haste. Meaning, it's, you receive love quickly but you also receive tons of patience. And in your, by the way, in your gospel communities, like these are our communities of people where people are helping each other grow and helping people find God. Well, in these communities, you should be experiencing that. And if you're not, you've got to let me know because that means your leader is failing you. And if your leader is failing you, that means I'm failing your leader. Embraced. Moved along to become who you're made to become. And... And, and look, relationships fail. And that could happen in your gospel community. This is right here. Look, look at what happens to Cain. I'm not saying there's a Cain in your group and he's going to try to kill you, okay? Just, that's not what I'm saying. Well, here's what I'm saying. He's the brother. He's supposed to be caring for his little brother Abel and he kills him. He's supposed to show him the ropes and instead he kills him. Well, he gives him a rope, I guess. Cain was the worker of the ground who was supposed to crush the head of the serpent, and yet he crushes his brother instead. And we, then we see this downward spiral in Cain's family where they're taking advantage of God's grace. And here's the thing. In, in your families, in your communities, like we're going to take advantage of each other's grace. It's going to happen. It shouldn't, but it is. And I want you to understand, so we're in this Petri dish where sin has been put in. But now, look, something else has been put in. Grace has been put in. And, and that grace says, okay, now there's someone that you're made to become. And so in the Petri dish now, there's this very delicate balance. Like, you see this in your families, like with your kids. Like, your kids will take advantage of your grace, right? They'll also misunderstand your discipline. They'll take advantage of your grace and misunderstand your discipline. We do that with God, too. And, okay, so, 
that delicacy that's required like with your kids of grace and discipline, it requ- in your gospel communities, it requires absolute fantastic leadership. And here's why. Because if you say to somebody, hey, uh, you're not really living the way you should live, so I'm going to discipline you, it's probably not going to go over very well. Like, what, what is this word? What is this D word that you're saying to me? Look, this word is actually, it, it means like correction. It means like helping you become who you're made to become. But I'm going to tell you this. It's a very, very delicate balance in these groups. And so you have sin all in this group. And so what, what it means is you're embracing someone. But the, the embrace is like this. It's like you're being gracious to them like five times. For every time you're like, hey, let me just say, like, could, maybe God wants you to live like this instead. Five times of grace per every one, like, hey, maybe God wants you to live like this. Because, because the sin has been deposited in, that is how we need to function with each other. Grace, 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 grace. Hey, God loves you and wants you to live this way. Grace, then too. And if you don't like the word discipline, that's fine. It's just, you get what I'm saying. Navigating people to master their sin is incredibly difficult. And it requires tons of grace and it requires loving with urgency but also with quick patience. And sin will wreck your relationships. But we got to be quick to forgive but we also got to set up boundaries. Like, so you're going to be, people are going to do something wrong to you. Like I'm telling you it's going to happen. And then so you forgive them but then also you set up boundaries. But then sometimes you allow those boundaries to be broken because you love them and you want to be gracious to them. And so sometimes you allow that boundary to be broken. And this is just wisdom. Like the combination of love and grace and wisdom. It'll teach you what to do. And you might do it wrong sometimes but that's okay because we're all going to just be gracious to each other. Because we're all acting like Cain at times. So, and this is the last problem for Cain. <laughs> all hope is lost. Like, all of it. And I want you to think about the weight of what Adam and Eve probably felt. So, all of their hope was in Cain. Cain was going to bring them back to Eden. And instead, Cain kills his younger brother, and you got these parents that are probably sitting here like, like, what is going on? God, where are you? What, what are you doing right now? Cain set this virus into the Petri dish, and humanity just spiraled. God promised them a hope, but here's what they did. They hoped in the wrong one. And we're making that same mistake. You're putting your hope in your kids. You're putting your hope in your spouse. You're putting your hope in this life that you could finally get to. You're putting your hope in whatever it is that's going to let you down, and you're putting your hope in yourself. Let me ask you this question. What, what is the thing that you want most in life? Just answer that question for yourself right now. What do you want most in life? Now, what will help you get that? What will help you get the thing you want most in life? Whatever that thing is, that's your great hope. What you want most in life, the thing that will get you what you want most in life, that is your great hope. And if it is not God, all hope will eventually crumble and be lost. And if you don't want what God wants for your life, then you're walking around on the wrong soil. You're digging your toes into the wrong soil, putting your hope in something that's the wrong soil. And this is why we've become hopeless wanderers. And we feel like we are wilting, like our leaves are wilting and our fruit tastes bitter because of the soil that we are walking upon.
And come on, let's admit it. Like, we have problems with our worship. Sin is mastering us, and we are hopeless wanderers. But in our verses, there is a new hope. Seth is born, but Seth is not the hope either. The son of Seth, and on and on and on from generation to generation until finally we arrive at the great hero who is planted in this foreign soil and then breaks through the soil to give us Eden back. Like he fixes the soil. He's literally breaking up out of the soil, out of the death of the soil. This is pointing to Jesus. I hope you're seeing this. Breaking up out of the grave, breaking up out of the soil so that he might bring us back to Eden. The line of Seth is leading up to Jesus, the great hope. Look at what it says in Hebrews 12, 24. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Huh. I want you to see what's going on here. Abel's blood is crying out for Cain's guilt. And every sin that we have in our life is like spilled blood that cries out for our guilt. And then Jesus comes, and he becomes the wanderer. He becomes the hopeless wanderer. He leaves his home to come and wander here for us. And when he comes, grace enters into the Petri dish and absolutely everything changes. Cain kills Abel. Abel's blood cries out for our guilt and Cain's guilt. We kill Jesus and his blood cries out for our homecoming. The soil has been changed ever since Jesus came. And every time you worship Christ the soil underneath you begins to change. Every time you turn back to him, the soil begins to change. Every time you master sin by seeing the glory, beauty, and worth of Christ, the soil changes. And every, every time you love with urgency and not with haste, the soil around you changes. And every time you turn back to Jesus in his grace, the soil changes, but not just the soil, you change. Do you feel the soil changing? Put your hope in Christ and you will find your wilted leaves becoming alive again. And put your hope in Christ and you will find your fruit has changed from being bitter to the sweet nectars of Eden that you are giving to all the people around you. And then by doing that, Eden has come back in Christ. So go to him. Father, we thank you for this gift of your son coming into this rotten soil, being planted into death, sprouting up out to change the soil underneath our feet. And so God, as we long for the true soil that we're made for, God, let us cling to Christ who will give us Eden now. God, we want to stop pushing away your hugs. 
And we want to just let you embrace us. So God, uproot us from the life that we are in and let us be rooted in you and rooted in your word to us that brings us back to Eden. And God, as we sing the song, help us sing together as we sing of ourselves, people who have been brought back to Eden. Let us sing with the joy and the grace that you've given us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.